there, Green Future Growers. Thanks for joining us today. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite Android app. And let's get growing. What's the best gardening advice you've ever received or best farming advice you've ever received? Always keep very, very meticulous records. Um, You may think you're going to remember how long it took something to germinate or how quickly (laughs) something flowered and fruited or how much you harvested. And you'll say, yeah, I remember that. This is totally something that I'm going to remember in, you know, four to six months. Um, And that's never the case. Um, You're not going to remember what day it was. You're not going to remember how much. A lot of things are going to fall by the way. You'll forget a thing or two. And keeping really meticulous records is a a good way um, to plan for the next season. Uh, Like I was talking about earlier, um, it all comes down to good planning. Um, it's really, really helped. It's really, really helpful to keep track of what works and what doesn't. Um, like I could not tell you, especially once it gets like super busy in the middle of the season, I couldn't tell you what I was doing on July 15th of last season if I didn't have a notebook to look back to. That's from my interview number 222 with Gabe Siciliano, another rock star millennial who says his notes are crucial. Don't you want to get a journal? Hey, listeners. Do you have a place to keep track of everything that's going right in your garden and everything that's not quite going the way you thought it was going to and the things that you don't want to forget next February and March? Because I guarantee you, you're going to think, I am never going to forget this. I have done this 20 times this year and I'm going to make sure I do it right next year. And next March, you're going to be like, oh yeah, what was that again? By the time you're done harvesting everything and your season is over, there's nothing more important you can do than be taking notes now. Which seeds worked the best? Which areas do you want to change? Where do you want to put your irrigation? Where do you need to get row cover? Like all those little notes that are going through your mind. Like even if you just write in your journal once a week, just go sit in your garden and be like, oh yeah, this or that, or you could keep it with you. But anyway, my point is, hey, do you want to help the Green Organic Gardener podcast? Because I made a beautiful journal. It's got a butterfly on a lilac that I took a picture of so you could have a piece of your garden our garden in your garden, a place to keep your notes. It's got, uh, I think 135, um, pages that are either blank or lined. Cause those are my favorite kind of journals. Cause I like to have the lines to write and the blank pages. And so you can support the show, but most of all, you can have good records. My guests have said frequently that's their favorite tool, most valuable tool, good records. Um, so, and it would support the show. Hey everyone, have I told you about the Forager Project? They're a 100% organic plant-based food company based in California, dedicated to making a world a better place than they found it. Don't you love that? They make yogurts, kefirs, all these cool things out of organic cashews. Do you know that cashews are actually a seed on an apple? Yeah, I found the coolest um, video on cashews anyway so they turn these cashews into sour cream cottage cheese milk yogurts um they're really delicious they sent me samples actually in a fedex box with ice it was so cool um they're absolutely delicious forager project is passionate about creating healthy organic plant-based food and equally passionate about nurturing a healthy democracy. They believe that voting is the most essential ingredient needed to do this. Forager wants to inspire everyone to get out and vote. And that means you participate in our democracy. They provide voting resources and information for you at foragerproject.com forward slash vote or on the socials like Instagram, Twitter, etc. at Forager Project. 
cultivate democracy, vote. <laughs> oh, Jackie, this is exciting. I see that you've rebranded to Green Organic Gardener. That's awesome. I know. And do you know who, um, um, oh my gosh, what's his name? Jeff Lowenfels. He wrote yes, like, I do. Teaming with Microbes and Teaming with, um, you know, all the teaming things. Yes, I have his uh, books. And so my very first episode I did with my rebrand was my interview with him. And he comes on and he goes, my motto for 2020 is, or 2019 or whatever, my new motto is, what would Greta do? And <laughs> he was all, and it was just like, I was like, oh, this is so perfect. And I was so nervous about changing my name and worried, you know, I'm going to lose a bunch, kind of worried that I was going to lose a bunch of listeners, but also like not too worried because that was part of the point was, you know, I'm very political on my show compared to a lot of other people. And I guess a lot of, a lot of gardeners are not, you know, they don't go there, but I totally do. And I thought, well, maybe that'll be my niche. You know, there was like niche down, niche down, find your niche. Yeah. And I was like, maybe that, and, and I didn't like the few people I was worried about, um, they're all still here. I'm still in good contact with them. So, um, and another podcast became the organic gardening podcast. So it kind of, it was kind of part of that because I wanted to be able to, but more, I just wanted to really like, you know, there's tons of shows that teach people how to grow vegetables. Our goal is to teach people how to, you know, create a greener world, how to create, you know, like our book is the organic oasis, how to create an organic oasis and like how to, I'm just more interested in a sustainable future as much as what's growing in your garden. You know, it's important. And, and gardening is a beautiful way for us to take care of the planet. It's magnificent. I love it, Jackie. It's perfect. Aww. Well, thanks. Well, cool. Well, I'm excited about that. I was so excited about my new MacBook and I can't even believe, I can't believe the guys at Best Buy didn't mention that yesterday when I was there, that nobody's come back fuming going, hey, I see there's like a $17 add-on I can buy from Amazon this morning <laughs> to fix that, but. Ugh. Of course there is. <laughs> Like why? Like why don't they sell it to get? What do they think? You're not going to need a USB port. Like I don't know. Whatever. I know. Just uh, just breathe, Jackie. It's it's weird times, and and. Um... <laughs> I love that because you know what? My one of my students gave me this sticker that says, "Breathe." She went to Utah on a vacation one year during school, and um, she came back and brought me. That was her souvenir. She brought me was a a sticker that said breathe and, you know drew barrymore has a tattoo on her arm that says breathe i am so in love with the drew barrymore show there she started a new daytime tv show this week and i just think it is the best i'm so much more excited about that than kamala harris running for president <sighs> because i feel like she is just gonna bring Black Lives Matter and the climate change and just like she is out there trying to make our world a better place and bringing those voices to television um, in an unprecedented manner. And already this week, like I was excited about it starting and then this week it's just been fantastic. Like there's this quote from Reese Witherspoon. I um, 
posted the other day where Reese says, uh, she's like, Drew, you're the one that taught me that we can contribute together. Like it's, it's all about a world of, um, not living in a world of scarcity, but living in an abundance. And as women, we can build each other up and work collaboratively. And in the end, we will all have more instead of this male mindset that we have. And the other thing Reese said that was great was how they looked at the system that's not right in Hollywood and reached out to change that system together, the two of them. By starting their own female companies and they're working to get more female directors and more female stories written and to me hollywood has such a bigger influence on our world than politics in many ways we see change in hollywood you see it on the big screen the audiences begin to accept it and then politics fall to me that's what i see i and i i personally think Hollywood has a lot to blame for a lot of the violence in our world because I think they're, you know. Anyway, Kevy, we only have an hour today because there is an interview scheduled right after you. And my <laughs> listeners are always like, Jackie, we don't want to hear you. We want to hear your guests. So I'm going to be quiet <laughs> now. And I have a lot of new listeners because I was on Melissa Norris's show right after the Jeff Lonefells interview last December. And oh. like, they have hung in there. So they seem happy. They are still, my downloads are still way up thanks to them. And, so go ahead and tell them a little bit about yourself and you do the talking and I'm going to be quiet. I'm even going to mute my mic. <laughs> so, uh, so thank you, Jackie. I'm so excited to be back again. This is uh, this is awesome. I'm so happy that I'm still in business. <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> Yay. Well, we're happy too, because you have a great business. So I should introduce you really quick, I guess. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Welcome to the Green Organic Garden. It is Saturday, September 19th, 2020, and I have one of my favorite guests on the line. She has the best laugh. She's going to make you guys all happy, and just she has an amazing business. She taught me how to start my worm bin that I know you guys have heard me talk about. I followed her instructions, um, and you're just going to love everything she has to say. So from, it's Toronto, right? You're in Toronto. You're in Canada, I know. Correct. Yes, just north of Toronto. Here's Kathy Nesbitt. So welcome to the show, Kathy. Welcome back. Woo! Thank you, Jackie. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> so yeah, so I do have a green business. It's um, yeah, it's funny. I don't really think of it that way. It's kind of just a business. 18 years. Uh, so I'm the founder of Kathy's Crawley Composters. Started in 2002, and the impetus for starting my business was that our landfill closed. So yes, I'm just north of Toronto. In, in Canada. And so Toronto's the largest city. And when the largest city for a co uh, country closes, <laughs> or not that when the landfill closes, you know, it's a big problem. <laughs> and Canada's a pretty large country. <laughs> we could not find a place to site our garbage, a new landfill. So um, at that time, we started shipping garbage to Michigan. And it, you know, I, I just was, I, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> you know, how could we ship our garbage out of the country? It didn't even make sense to me, especially when, you know, what I, what I do is indoor composting with worms. So Toronto has, now they have just over 6 million people, half living in condos, townhouses, without space to do outdoor composting. So all of that organic matter was being shipped to um, a landfill, it didn't even make sense. 
So I, so that's how I have to ask you a question. Like, yes. When you say like none of your garbage was being like, or just like, and you guys, so, I mean, you must sort your, like Canada's probably way ahead of the United States. You must sort out the food parts. Are you just talking about just the food waste was being shipped out? So at that time, it was all the way. So we had a recycling program. So we would separate paper, cans, bottles, and then all the rest would go in the garbage. When our landfill closed in 2002, uh, you know, we were still shipping all of our organic matter. But now we have, in 2002, Toronto created a an organic collection program. It's called the Green Bin Program, and it is for the food waste. But it's way worse than that. I mean, it's it, they collect um, diapers, feminine hygiene, um, dog poop, cat poop, you know, all the stuff that you really wouldn't want to compost. Um, and the program in Toronto is an anaerobic, anaerobic digestion. So it's actually collecting the green energy. So it's beautiful, except then they're left with tons and tons of anaerobic sludge. And as you know, and as your gardeners, your listeners know, plants always require aerobic bacteria to grow. So this, this anaerobic smelly sludge now needs to be put in a, you know, in windrows or some way to convert it into aerobic. Oh my gosh, it's, the program is ridiculous, I must say. <laughs> so the, the after the- Is still going on now? Uh, the program is still going on and you know the challenge is Jackie I don't know how advanced your recycling program is in the states but <laughs> recycling programs in Canada state, are great. there's like nothing oh okay <laughs> okay well you <laughs> in 2018 we don't do paper we don't do glass um I think you can take cardboard to one place and like cans. That's it in my state. I where my mom lives, it's a little more advanced, but not much. And and then they say even out of what we collect, only thirty percent of it gets used, right? Well, that's that's the that's the challenge. Is you know in Canada we have all these programs. The optics look awesome. Like on garbage day, it's like oh yeah, look at all the people playing the the blue box, the green bin, the garbage program, right? Um, but if those bins are too contaminated, you know they just have a look, and if if they're too contaminated, um, they get landfilled. So we're paying extra money. Our garbages cost even more because we've got these separate containers and the organic collection program is really ridiculous. If I can say that, <laughs> um, you know, it's a lot of money. And then the material that's going in there is, um, you know, it's your food waste and whatever, but if people don't care, they're going to throw in whatever they have there, like their old batteries or old paint. And, and I hope your listeners are horrified. I mean, I'm horrified by the whole program. It costs millions and millions of dollars. And then most of that material gets landfilled. And the material that does not get landfilled is toxic waste anyway. It's too high in sodium, heavy metals. It looks great. It looks like compost because it's being sifted, you know, but there's plastic bits in it. Oh, Jackie, it's horrible. <laughs> Get worms, everyone. <laughs> All right.
right, so then explain to listeners maybe how does the worms work? And like the thing to me, like I just don't understand it because one, Mike and I can never have enough compost. We can never we spend a fortune on dirt. Like to me, it's just throwing gold in the garbage. It's so easy. You the worm bin, I kept it in my classroom. It was so easy. It never smelled, it didn't make a mess. I just don't even I am baffled by people. And then the funniest thing is I just talked to this woman who's in Toronto. Her name's Shoshona Chame, and she runs this podcast called Plant Trainers. And her and her husband are both um he saved his life by eating like plant materials, you know, like a plant-based lifestyle. And she's like, I sort my compost. She's doing the program exactly. And I sent her a book. I was like, stop throwing, you're throwing gold in the garden. I mean, in the garbage. And she's like, she wrote me back and she's like, Jackie, I just don't think I'm ever going to compost. This is too hard. Oh, wow. My jaw almost <laughs> dropped. This was just like, I haven't even posted her episode yet. Like I just interviewed her in August. Oh, wow. It's crazy. I, I think that's the challenge, Jackie, is um, people think that compost is hard or they don't understand it. So it's just easier just to throw it in the garbage or not bother. Just buy, They'll just buy compost. And I think what people don't understand is, I don't know about in the U.S., but in Canada, you know, soil, compost, triple mix, all of those things, it's not regulated. It's an industry that is just like freewheeling and you don't really know what you're getting. So if you make your own compost, wow, you know what's in it. Um, so the worm compost. So compost um, is a beautiful thing, usually done outside. Worm composting can be done inside, which is beautiful for, for, for the colder climates. You know, in winter, we would definitely need to have the worms brought inside. They're temperature sensitive. So just like regular composting, the worms require a carbon-nitrogen mix. The carbon is shredded paper, leaves, straw, cardboard, you know, all, all of your kind of brown materials. The green, the um, nitrogen is the food scraps, coffee grounds, tea bags, manures. Um, those are all your nitrogen. So the worms require both. They eat both. And it's aerobic process, again, meaning with oxygen. So it doesn't smell like rotting food. Although you're adding your rotting food in, it seems like, oh, it's probably going to smell. No, mm. composting is aerobic. <laughs> if it smells like rotting food, it's rotting food and not, and not composting. And the worms breathe through their skin. So if it smells bad, you know, they, they breathe oxygen like we do, but through their skin. So if it smells bad, it's like a built-in mechanism, bad for us, bad for the worms, and action needs to be taken or you'll lose your worms. Oh, and see, that's the other thing I always feel like, like Mike and I, because we have to haul our garbage to the green boxes. Like if we put our garbage on the porch and it sits there for two days, like we don't have to worry about a bear getting into it. We don't have to worry about it stinking or making a mess because basically it's all paper and plastic, like, you know, or, um, you know, we don't have food going into our garbage. Like I always feel like when I'm at my mom's, her garbage stinks so bad because there's always food going into it. What doesn't go in the compost or she does, you know, she has more, like we don't eat a lot of meat or the dogs eat the meat. If there's any meat scraps around, you know, that we don't put in the compost. But to me, it's just, I just can't imagine you get all that. Your garbage is so much grosser if you have to deal with compost. Yeah, I, and again, I think that's something that people just don't even understand, you know, if we understood the mechanics of 
how a plant grows. So the roots, you know, the, <clears throat> the soil provides the food for the plants. So the, the nutrients are taken out of the soil. And if, so if we don't do, <clears throat> pardon me, if we don't add those scraps back into the soil by composting or trench carp composting, any, any way that we're adding the, the, the material back into the soil, we're robbing the soil of those nutrients. So yes, we can grow another plant because soil is amazing, um, but it's not going to be as nutrient rich as the last one. And I'm really not saying anything new. I mean, we, we've been hearing for a long time that our food is less nutrient, you know, whatever. I, I can't remember the stats, but something like a broccoli from 1950 um, to get that same nutrient content, you would have to eat like 28 broccoli heads, <laughs> like not possible. Yeah. To get the nutrient value. And I think that leads to like, what's the big thing they're talking about on the news all weekend? Uh, obesity raising in, and I, and I think that leads to a lot of it. I finally bought like one of those um, bricks, whatever, like a, it's like a little magnifying glass type of thing or whatever, where you like measure the nutrient density of the, with the carbohydrates in the food to see how I haven't done the experiment yet, <laughs> but I bought the thing. Cause I want to see what is a potato that micros compared to a potato at the store. What is our kale? I'm dying to know our kale because I had, um, I don't know if you know, Nicole Masters. She's like one of the biggest soil experts in the world from New Zealand. And she, uh, she was telling me that this friend of ours, Patty Armbruster had the highest kale. And I just had to know like, what's our kale's, so I, um, I bought it for that. And just to see what it, you know, to go, to compare what is the nutrient density of the food that we're growing compared to the food at the store. Right. And, and as Jeff's, you know, talked about, I, I was so fascinated actually listening to his um, interview about how, I, I can't remember if it was his family or he was related to people who started miracle Grow, And it was like talking about how they were chemical growers and it seems so great. Like, you know, the, the average, the marketers are so great at telling us what we think we want to hear. And then we're like, oh, that's what I need. That's what I want, my big blooming plants. So we think, oh, we'll better put that blue stuff on. But I say to people, you know, blue, only blueberries are blue. So no, doesn't blue's not blue. natural. <laughs> you know, and we need to feed the, uh, the plant and not the soil. <laughs> no, feed the soil and not the plant. I, the opposite. <laughs> yeah, if we if we take care of the soil, the soil will look after the plant for sure. Yeah, and then the other like again to me, I talk on my show a lot about I like clean garden jobs, and compost to me is a clean garden job. Like that's the other thing that baffles me. Like I don't feel the messiness of it. I mean, and we throw our compost out all winter long. Like we just throw it on there on the pile. It snows on it. It freezes, whatever. And in the spring, you know, it's all nice and decomposed. But the year that I was teaching on the east side and I was living in an apartment was the year that I had the worm bin. And we also had a guinea pig for a class pet. I just got it. I was joking with the kids. I'm like, I'm going to get you a class pet. And I was all excited to bring them in the 500 worms. Um... And it was so fun. The excitement in the kids when we were filling that worm bin and the day the package came and just, and then part of it was like some, one of the other teachers had given me this plant and after the petunia died, the plant thing was just sitting in the corner of the pot. 
And they kept going in it and digging out the worms. This pot was full of worms. And I was like, oh, they like worms. Well, I'm going to do Kathy's worm bin thing. And it was just, it was, it was, the ease of it was what amazed me, how easy it was to do. Did I lose you? No, I'm still here. Sorry. Oh, uh, so do you want to tell listeners how to build a worm bin? Yeah, absolutely. So any container will do. It's creating the right environment. So the, the worms live in the carbon, the, the shredded paper. Um, because it's done inside, I, I, I do recommend shredded paper versus leaves. Um, and the reason for that is if you use leaves, which is certainly fine, um, some of the uh, organisms, some of the bugs, some of the insects lay their eggs in, in uh, the leaf litter. So if you add leaves into your outdoor comp in your uh, worm bin as your bedding that you bring in the house, then you may now be bringing in, you know, centipedes, millipedes, sow bugs into your house. They're all decomposers, um, but you may not want them roaming around your house because they may not stay in the bin. So using yes, <laughs> so using shredded paper is a great a great thing. Then you need a little bit of soil. The soil that you're going to use is um, just outdoor garden soil, not potting soil that you purchase. Um, you're adding the soil for the for the microorganisms. They're the teeth for the for the uh, system. And when you buy soil, potting soil, it's sterilized, so there are no bugs in it. Um, and so you need the bugs. And you're adding the soil for the grit as well. The worms have a gizzard like chicken, um, and this helps them to process the food scraps. Next ingredient is maybe six to eight crushed eggshells. Um, that helps to balance the pH, and the worms require the calcium for rep reproduction. So uh, again, another way to use something that you, you have laying around the kitchen. Okay, and then the last ingredient is water. For a container about the size of a, um, like a Rubbermaid bin or something like that is perfect to use. Um, you need about, uh, like a big pop bottle. You would use a big pop bottle worth of, of water. Um, and then you mix it all up. It should be the consistency of a wrung out sponge. Um, before you add your worms in, I would say do a squeeze test. So you take some of the bedding, squeeze, a few drops should come out. If no water comes out, add a bit more water. If it's too wet, just add a little bit more dry bedding. Mix it up again. The worms like it moist and fluffy. <laughs> then you add your worms right on top. They'll naturally make their way down into the bedding. And then when you're feeding your food scraps, you simply pull back the bedding, bury your food scraps in the bedding so you don't get fruit flies. Um, and then the worms eat the food scraps and the paper and their poop is actually the black gold. That's the compost. It's, uh, it's maybe three to six months from setup to harvest. There's so many factors that, I, so I can't say exactly how long. Um, you know, particle size, um, the type of food you're putting in, temperature, moisture, airflow, so many things. All of this information's on my website. <laughs> So these were come, some of the things I had. I, one, didn't know the part about burying it, which would have helped with the fruit flies. Because we, the one struggle I have was like, so my kids first semester 
how did it work? They went to PE and then they ate lunch. And so I was always picking them up at the cafeteria and I had, they had these huge trays full of, you know, all the leftover scraps from food, the broccoli scraps and the lettuce and everything. Well, when I got the worms in February, we had just switched and now they were going to lunch and then PE and I wasn't picking them up in the lunchroom. So the only scraps we were putting in there was like breakfast. So it was a lot of melon rinds and banana peels and fruit. And I felt like the worms needed more greens and more of the lunchtime scraps. So that was one challenge I had in the classroom, but maybe it was because I wasn't burying the stuff. We were just kind of lifting the lid and putting it in there. And then the other thing I did was I bought a clear plastic bin thinking, oh, the kids will be able to see the worm trails and and watch it all happen. But it's supposed to be a dark bin, right? Because I ended up just covering it with paper. Uh, correct. Yes. Okay. So a couple of things. So um, the fruit flies are not a necessary part of a worm bin, but they don't, the fruit flies do not bug the worms. So they only bug us. <laughs> we called them bugs, right? <laughs> so I'm going to, let me just talk about the fruit flies for a second. So, you know, I say to people, um, I ask people, have you ever had fruit flies? And they say, yes. And I say, have you had a worm bin? And they say, no. And I say, okay, good. You know that the fruit flies don't come from the worm bin. They come from the food you're putting in. So a little bit of management is required. Like if you're doing composting outside and you have fruit flies, that's great. They're decomposers. They're just helping break down the material and they're outside flying around. We don't care. But when you, once you bring it in the house or in the classroom, my goodness, you don't want to have a fruit fly explosion. Explosion. Somebody's going to be bugged. <laughs> so something you can do, anything you don't generally wash, bananas, orange, melon, um, the fruit fly eggs are on the outside of the peel. So you can give those peels a quick rinse that will wash off the eggs and then you chop up your scraps and then burying your food in the bedding. That's kind of an additional measure. So if there's any fruit flies, you know, in the building, they're not going to find their way into the, into the worm bin. Huh? That's funny. Well, anymore, I wash all my fruit with soap and water. <laughs> Coming from the store. I'm just like, I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm kind of scared to buy. I'm so happy we have, the produce that Mike grows because I haven't really had to go to the produce aisle since August and I probably won't very much, but I do it to buy fruit. Um, but yeah, I wash my fruit with soap and water anymore. I'm just like, I don't care. Strawberries, bananas, you know, even if I'm not going to eat the peels, just bring them home from the store. I just, I don't know, with the whole COVID thing, I'm kind of, my mom laughs at me. <laughs> But that's a great thing. So the, like wiping the cans down and everything that we brought home, or we would like leave it in the car for three days. I I I've kind of I don't really do that anymore. But we don't have any cases in Montana either. So oh hallelujah, that's really awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's a strange time, Jackie. <laughs> it is. Anyway, yeah. okay. So, uh, what was it? You were going to say two things. There was the fruit fry in the dark bin, maybe, or you were and the dark bin. Yes. Thank you. So, um, I know for classrooms, so you can have a clear bin, but as you did, you need to cover it with paper or fabric or something, which is fine too. And cause that is nice if you can take away the paper or the fabric and then see the trails, but really ideally a dark bin or a opaque bin would be, would be best. And um, so the system that I have, um, teachers really love it. Um, everybody loves it. It's, it's super duper cute. It's, it's um, 
it's a functional piece of furniture. It's got two trays and it's actually a stool. And it was designed really for the urban market where, um, you know, if you live in a condo, the condos that they're building today are very small. Like they don't have a big you know, floor space. So you might not have room for, remember my worm chalet, how big it was? So beautiful. I loved it. <laughs> so this is super cute. This is, um, yeah, it's the size of a stool. And then with the two trays and it comes in four colors so people can match their decor. Um, it's, it's just lovely. And how the uh, tower composters work, same as with a regular bin, but you would just start with one container, holes in the bottom of each container, each, each tray, and when the tray fills up, you just set the next tray on top with your new bedding, the worms will follow the food, so they're going to migrate up through the holes and leave behind their black gold, so you don't have to harvest, you don't have to be hands-on with the worms. Oh my that- gosh, I have, because I have been wondering this, because that's the other thing, all these soil specialists, Nicole Masters, Patty Armbruster, Jeff, like, they keep talking about the importance of the compost poop, and the, the, um, compost tea and i've always been like because that was my bin like uh, we just kept in the classroom and i just emptied it at the end of the year um and never had emptied it from february till june but like everybody keeps talking about the compost tea and like even denny cray who was like one of the first people i talked to about doing it he was the one that talked me into doing it in the classroom i think uh how easy it was they kept talking about getting the the worm castings off the bottom. So that's awesome that you have this two-tiered tray thing that people can just get. Yeah, and it's got a tap in the bottom, so it actually has a few functions. It it self-harvests, and it also manages the moisture. If you're using um, just a a single bin, you have to be careful that it doesn't get too wet on the bottom. Yes. So with this, uh, the tower composters, again, all have a tap in the bottom, which allows you to siphon off the liquid. And again, if the liquid smells bad, it's anaerobic, throw it away. Plants always require aerobic bacteria. If it doesn't smell bad, you can dilute it, water your plants and have liquid fertilizer, which is really um, a beautiful extra benefit. You know, so I used to say um, like compost is great, Worm compost is greater, and it's more processed by nature. Um, yeah, so, so the worms convert the material, so it's ready to be taken up by the plant roots. And they actually secrete um, sugars that attract the bugs that they need so they can be protected. It's so beautiful. I, you know, I do a lot of school workshops, and I say to the kids, so having a strong beautiful healthy soil is like having a strong immune system i mean maybe this isn't relevant during this COVID time or maybe it's more relevant i'm not sure relevant it's more (laughs) it's absolutely yeah but what i say is you know like if somebody sneezes and you have a strong immune system you might not get you like that's what i meant it's not relevant you don't want anyone sneezing around you today (laughs) great (laughs) <laughs> but if somebody sneezes and you have a strong immune system, you probably won't get it. But if you have a weak immune system, you might, you know, you're more obviously more susceptible. Same with our beautiful soil. If we take care of it, those microbes, so those pathogens are in there. They're all in the soil. Everybody's present. But the when you have a healthy soil, those um um um, um 
you know, evil pathogens can't get to your roots because the, um, the roots are protected by the, by the beautiful soil. Well, and then like, then I get like two questions, three questions, maybe over and over. What do I put on my organic lawn? What do I do about pests, bugs, and diseases? And this is the whole solution. This is what all these soil scientists are saying. It's an ecosystem. And if you have all these good bugs in your soil, they're going to take care of the bad bugs and the pests. And you're not going to need to deal with all of these problems. Like people are always like, but what do I spray on my, what do I do to get rid of this? And so this really helps take care of a lot of those problems. That's the whole point, right? A lot of it. Oh, it's so beautiful. It really is allowing nature to, to take care of, of the earth. Um, my husband and I both took Elaine Ingham's uh, Life in the Soil course, and it blew our mind just because we kind of were working in it. Now we have the science. We, we didn't have the science before. We just kind of intuitively knew. Um, with the science, it really adds that beautiful piece that you know, the researchers, the science kind of people, the science minds that need the questions answered. Now we have the answers um, about why things are working, why you need to add this rather versus the quick fix of just adding, you know, the chemical to make it grow, the chemical fertilizer. Um, yeah, which is doing nothing for the soil. We really need to um, keep on feeding the soil, like doing mulch in the, in this, in the fall and, just you know it's over the winter that the um, the soil actually regenerates you know it's putting out from spring to fall producing uh, the plants are growing everything's coming out of the soil over the winter is the time for the soil to regenerate so we got to add mulch we got to add compost um, the uh, compost is the answer almost to any gardening issue to acidic add compost to our, to uh, alkaline add compost <laughs> You know, to uh, to so true, and I swear, my zinnias, I I could practically hear them and see them like perking up as I was like putting the compost on them this year. Like, I don't know if it's just my imagination, but they just seem like the next day, and like just even as I was adding it. I mean, I don't know if that's really possible that they could, but it just felt like like I could tell. I was like, they need this compost on there, like mulch. Like it wasn't a hundred percent where biodegraded where I would have preferred it, but I was like, I'm just going to put it on them anyway, because they need something. Hey, everybody. This is just me cutting in because I'm editing my interview with Kathy. And I realized that three times I say it just seemed like the zinnias were, but I never really tell you what the zinnias were doing. And to me, it was like their stalks were standing taller. Their, maybe their blooms were growing. Like I literally feel like a as I was putting the compost down, they were getting stronger. They were blooming. Their leaves were like turning. Their faces were turning for sun. I don't know. It could have been my imagination, but it just seemed like they were super excited. That's what I felt. And you could almost just tell right away. And it's so true. Like, you know, that's all we've really ever used. This year, I finally broke down and bought the beneficial nematodes that like Nicole Masters and Patty Armbruster and those guys were telling me because I was trying to like get rid of the bugs on my kale, the little bites, but then I found out, I'm not sure the nematodes, I don't know, we'll see if, if they, I more got them thinking that like by next year, it's going to be ready. So that was like a big thing I learned. Like I was trying to figure out where is my kale going to go next year already? But, um, but yeah, but Mike was like, he's like, I don't know what you're doing. He's like, we've always used compost. It's always been fine. And 
let me tell you, the potatoes he dug out of the garden this year are just amazing. It's, it's so, I don't know. Oh, the, it's night and day when you grow your own food in your wonderful soil. It's, you can't even compare something that you buy at the grocery store. You really, it's, no, no. And this year, oh my gosh, oh, oh, this year was such an amazing, it was really, really hot where I am, like super duper hot, hottest, hottest July on record. Um, and tomatoes and peppers love the heat. So I got, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I could, I, it was like a tomato factory, Jackie. Oh my gosh. And they're perfect. Like there was no bites. There was no blight. They were just like perfectly round. It was like I had a tomato factory. <laughs> awesome. Uh, we, I'm surprised our tomatoes, so we had our first freeze last week on the 8th. And I am surprised that like, even though the plants died, the tomatoes are still out there. They're firm, they're hard, and they're turning red on the vine. And it's just, it's pretty exciting for us because tomatoes are always a challenge for us here in Montana. It always fascinates me that Toronto seems to have almost like a better growing system toronto's like i want to go to toronto so bad when this covid thing's over i might oh yeah come on let me know when you're coming okay uh well tell us about your garden this year so this year it was interesting yeah tomatoes really really good um it, it was the heat i mean they just really love the heat and my and my great soil right so so although it was maybe a little bit dry my soil is so great so it's got that you know, moisture retention in it. Um, this year, I, I was disappointed with my butternut squash and my other squashes. They didn't seem to function this year. Um, yeah, so very interesting. I, I, I don't know if you recall, last time I was on, I had, was bragging about my giant, you know, 10, 15 pound butternut squashes <laughs> that were so dense. Um, this year I got like, I don't know, a couple that were maybe a pound or two. <laughs> Why do you think that was? I, I, maybe the heat. I don't know. I, 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 I can't figure out what, what happened this year because every year I get tons of, uh, well, not tons. That's, that's an exaggeration. <laughs> I get lots of, um, really big butternut squashes and this year, um, yeah, not so much. <laughs> I, I really can't explain what happened. I, I really don't know. Um, I'm not a I'm not a a gardener like most people. I just kind of put stuff in, and then it how it grows. It just grows, and and I it's not in a, it's not in lines. It's not in order. It's just kind of a wild garden. Um, I want to say we didn't have good squash this year. Like we got one zucchini because when I ate it, Mike was like, you might want to save those seeds because we didn't get any. That is the only zucchini we got. One zucchini. <laughs> so, you know, with the weather because we had rain until we had a very rainy June, July till the middle of July. And then we went seven weeks with that. And we really haven't. I don't think we've had, like, it was supposed to rain last night and it's barely dustivated out there. Like we didn't really get the rain we were hoping for that we were hoping was going to knock out all the smoke. Um, Cause we are in smoke city for the last week from the oh. fires. It is just yeah. awful. Like I can barely walk. Mike can barely, like he goes out to pick the potatoes and after like, 20 minutes, he's back in the house. Just like, it's like, you cannot believe how much smoke is here from there. I, I'm just, oh. 
It's horrible. Oh, thinking of, of everybody out west. I can't imagine what it's like to be in California. I can't imagine what it's because I feel, you know, guilty even complaining here because, um, you know, in, in many ways we're blessed mm. um, and, and the horrors. But on this flip side, I'm just disgusted that we haven't done anything. You know, there's all these things talking about 20 years ago, people in California and the scientists were saying, hey, if we don't do something about it, we're going to burn up. And now they're burning up, and I don't understand why California doesn't sue the government like crazy. I, I wish they would. I'm not even. But it, how is that going to help, though? I mean, I just don't know that legislation is the way to go. I, we need grassroots people to stand up and say, "Come on, let's." And and that's happening. I really do believe that people are banding together. Together, Greta was a great. Um, beacon to help us you know so well spoken and so young um yeah i we we have to do something I, you know what's really interesting jackie i know it's not really a political show or anything but we're, we're we're told don't talk about religion don't talk about politics like how the heck are we supposed to get by in life if we can't talk about those important topics why i mean i don't understand what's why can't we disagree i mean even if we have to disagree how are we going to come up with solutions and again that's why i'm so excited about the drew barrymore show because i feel like they're going to talk about well one of the questions i get a lot because i wrote this book about Jeanette rankin who was like the first woman elected to congress in montana in the in the united states she's from montana but she was the first woman ever elected to um congress right after montana got the right to vote in 1920 and uh 1916 and people ask me a lot they're like well what's so great about women like why do you know why are women better politicians and it's not even that women necessarily are better politicians it's like you know but we're half the population we should have half the voice but it's like what they were saying that they believe in a world of abundance that if they work together everybody's gonna do better you know it's it's not it doesn't have to be this huge competitive thing and i just i just feel like the more solutions we have the more people but i don't know i just feel like we should be putting money into research and development we should be putting in money into you know technology and figuring these solutions out instead of just saying well this is what we've been doing and and this is you know it's all gonna like i even saw this weird video on the green new deal the other day and it was supposed to be like promoting and explaining the green new deal but then they were like into this like oh, we're going to lose all these jobs and all these people, oh, sorry if you lose your job, but what about all the new jobs we're going to create? It's like this closed-minded view, like the only jobs we can have are like oil workers and coal miners. Like, who wants to be a coal miner anyway? Like, mm. you, you don't think you can come up with a better job for that person? Like, it just, I don't know. So that's, I kind of feel like, but yeah, I agree. Like, yeah, they say, don't talk about religion, don't talk about politics. But on my show, you can talk about it all you want. <laughs> Well, let me tell you about our um, politics in the garden or whatever, you know, about having about women. You're right. We are 50% and our government. I mean, I don't know what people think about him, but I think he's doing pretty good job. Um, He he decided when he was elected that he would make the parliament 50 50. So he had his Senate 50% women 50 men. Wow. Yeah, 50-50. Can you imagine? Progressive. Wow. That, that was a big jump. And he could just do that? He did it. <laughs> nice. 
Yeah, so beautiful. So, I mean, there's a lot of <laughs> people, you know, uh, politicians, there's always people that love them and hate them. So it depends who you ask. <laughs> yeah, I would never want to be a politician. I have a very thin skin. I wouldn't last one day. Oh my gosh, me too. My mom was yeah. like, you should, why don't you run for Congress? But you know what I wouldn't mind being is the person who writes the Congress person's speeches or the person, like, I wouldn't mind being their back end person. Mm. There's plenty of behind the yeah. scenes persons the the person who's actually running that's not me but I could yeah think. that's what we need to do I, I i don't know we we really need to uh you know as far as one of the challenges food waste is one of the ways that really everybody can take action and um, during this COVID time, we've been busier than ever. And when it started, um, you know, I'd get calls from from parents saying, oh, the kids are at home, you know, we're homeschooling now. So we're looking for a project. And of course, a worm bin is a great, a great uh, teacher. Um, so that was great. Uh, so I'd set up families with worm bins. That's beautiful. And then as the months went on, you know, um, Canada, we import about 60% of our food, six zero. That's a lot of food that we're importing. So when our we're getting close to that, like, like in 2017, we were importing 40% and then it went to 70%. We're, I think wow. we're pretty close to that. Yeah. So you, you think about if you're importing all that food, um, what happens when the border closes? Oh, Right. So the border closes. And I, I used to joke in 2002 when I started my business that those with worms would be the survivors if something happened to our food supply. And something has happened. Like, <laughs> you know, so it was becoming really urgent. People were like, oh, my gosh, I feel like I need to have a garden now because I need to grow some food. And yeah. so I say this um, this situation that we're in, although it's dire and it's really um, tragic and whatever. I think it's opening a lot of eyes yes. and making people pause, Yeah, you know, stop. We're, the, the, the life we had before COVID was, was kind of ridiculous. People running around like chickens, you know, taking the kids here, taking them there, everything scheduled, rush, 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 no time to just be. Um, so I really think that this time, I mean, I know a lot of people are struggling and I, and I don't, I'm not relishing in that. I just think that this time has allowed us a pause so that we can go, what is important? I, d I don't want what we had before. I do want to get back to some sort of something, some kind of life, but you know, I don't want the rushing around the impersonal, um, you know, I, I, although I think now with <laughs> how it is when I go out, it's like people are so stressed that sm uh, small things set people off and there's like friction very quickly. Have you noticed yeah. that when you go out? I notice I'm like that. I feel like I, you should see how many journal injuries that are like, why is my, why am I so grouchy? Why am I so cranky? Why am, you know, cause I am here, I am living in beautiful Montana. I can walk in the woods. I mean, in, in, you know, if you have to be in a pandemic, there couldn't be a better place to be until last week when the smoke hit, but, um, <laughs> and still like my poor husband putting up with me, but also, you know, in a lot of ways, I feel like, you know, I love my husband. I love my home. That doesn't mean I want to be here 24 seven. Right. And, and yeah. And there's a lot of, um, you know, and I get to hang out in my garden every night. Like I spend 90 minutes watering 
um, up until the frost, watering my garden every night. And just like, that's been really nice at the end of the day. I had two podcasting jobs this summer. So I've been on my computer more than ever, if that's possible between my podcast and these other two guys I've been working for. So my eyes are like burnt and just to be able to go down there and just enjoy, but still I'm like, why am I so on edge? And then, yeah. And then like, I live in a place where mass, you know, they all believe in herd immunity. There's people that think it's a democratic hoax. Like it's just insane. Mm. So I'm scared to be out with my mask on in my town, like that somebody will come up to me and like, be like, you stupid liberal Democrat, you know, you're dumb mask. You don't need to wear that and blah, blah, blah. Like I just, so I only go to the store at eight o'clock, nine o'clock in the morning, try to get in there and get out of town. Like it's Mm. been very, um, it's just kind of, yeah, times are, are weird. And, but yeah, but so being in the garden, it's nice to see parents home. I was teaching school last year. So I did the whole online learning from March through June. Um, and just, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I do think there's changes. It's good to see some things. I do, I do feel like there maybe is going to be hopefully a positive rebirth after this is all over. Like you said, you know, can't have a rainbow without the rain maybe this is the rain and the rainbow is coming <laughs> later i you know in general i'm a positive person but it's very hard especially in the community that i'm in because there's mm. so much hostility judgment yeah judgment. Just, like, well jackie you know uh, one of the latest things when it, something that i've added to my repertoire of things is laughter yoga um oh, i was always not that <laughs> So laughter yoga, yes, I think it's a, a wonderful way to uh, to kind of lighten up our chat here because it's it's heavy and it is a heavy time. Um, so laughter yoga came to me at a time when I was doubting um, staying with the worms because it was so hard. Um, I, you know, I'm a, I'm very sensitive, empathic person, and and I feel like I have this important mission of putting worms everywhere and letting people know this is an option. Uh, but people feel um, that they they have the right to say things because they're just worms, you know, like they're, they're worms. Nobody likes worms. Okay. <laughs> so they could say Kids things love like worms. Like I said, come <laughs> out of that pot in the corner of my classroom. <laughs> you know, but people have their preconceived notions about worms. And so, you know, one more person said to me, ew, worms or worms in the house, ew, gross. Or, and I was just like, oh my gosh, like it just landed on my heart. And I was like, oh, so I was introduced to laughter yoga and I took laughter yoga on as a daily self-care practice, you know, 10 to 15. So laughter yoga is not yoga, it's laughter exercises. So intentional laughing. 10 to 15 minutes of sustained belly laughter is equal to 300 sit-ups, 30 minutes on a rowing machine. I mean, it's just like so much fun just to laugh instead. Um, so I do, um, I do uh, now, I, I, before COVID, I was going into long-term care, working with folks with dementia, laughing, so beautiful. Oh my gosh. And working with folks with special needs. Again, like if you're nonverbal, it must be so frustrating so laughter is a wonderful release. And so I would like to invite you and your listeners, every Tuesday, I do Zoom laughter for free, 30 minutes of Zoom laughter yoga, 
Um, it's 9.30 Eastern Standard, so it's a little bit early <laughs> um, in Montana, but, you know, come and laugh. And That's it's a perfect for me. Start out my day right. Yeah, come and join us um, if, if, it, if it calls to you. It's, it, laughing just helps us. So it's, it really is the best medicine. Laughter is the best medicine. It's scientifically proven. We've all heard it. We all know when we've had a good belly laugh, we feel better. Like we're like, wow, I feel great. Or we don't even think about it. We just do feel great. Um, so the brain requires 25% more oxygen than the rest of the body as an operating principle. You know, it's a machine running our body. When we're stressed, like during a pandemic, <laughs> um, we're not breathing properly. So our body's not getting what it needs. For sure, our brain isn't. Like, have you ever lost your keys? And you're flapping around, you're like, oh, where are my keys? I gotta go, yeah. I'm gonna be late. <laughs> so the longer you're flapping around, you're never gonna find them because you're, you're not breathing. So you're like, ah, oh, where are they? You're all stressed. And when we're stressed, the oxygen leaves our brain, the blood leaves our brain, because now we're in fight or flight. Like now we're just gonna run away or we're gonna stay and fight, but we don't need our brain to come up with solution. So if that happens, I can't prevent you from losing something, sorry. <laughs> but what I can do is offer you a tip. Next time it happens, because it will, <laughs> we're human. Um, stop, take a deep breath, laugh it off, apologize to everyone, and you'll find your keys, glasses, phone, whatever it is you were looking for. It's, it's magic. Oh my gosh, Kathy, you are the perfect person to do that too, because you have the best laugh and it's so contagious. And... <laughs> That is something I need. So I'm going to put that on my calendar and try to join you because I have no sense of humor. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. Laugh it's, and maybe it'll help me because my poor husband has to put up with my grouchy self. It's Hopefully not jokes or comedy. It'll help me because that's, that's also been part of my struggle. Anyway, I hate to do this, but we got to get off because I have another interview starting in just a few minutes. And um, Oh, Jackie, how did it go so fast? <laughs> I know, probably because I talk too much. I'm sorry, but... No, no. Tell listeners how to find your website and how to connect you and where can they get the worms and the worm kit and the enjoying the yoga laughter. Oh, okay, beautiful. So my worm website is kathyscomposters.com, C-A-T-H-Y-S, and then composters. Dot com and my laughter page is kathysclub.com um, all of the information is available from my worm website that's my main my main gig i'm on facebook i'm on twitter linkedin youtube i'm everywhere <laughs> awesome and i'll make sure i put it in the show notes so thank you so much for sharing with us today and i so i'm gonna try to come meet you in toronto when this is all over I love it. Come and laugh with me on Tuesdays. It's so beautiful. And bring Mike. Come yeah. and laugh together. <laughs> <laughs> that works. But that's a great idea. Oh, thank you so much, Kathy. It was so fun to reconnect. And you have a wonderful day. Thank you, Jackie. And you. Hey, everyone. Have I told you about the Forager Project? They're a 100% organic plant-based food company based in California, dedicated to making a world a better place than they found it. Don't you love that? They make yogurts, kefirs, all these cool things out of organic cashews. Do you know that cashews are actually a seed on an apple? Yeah, I found the coolest um, video on 
cashews. Anyway, so they turn these cashews into sour cream, cottage cheese, milk, yogurts. Um, they're really delicious. They sent me samples, actually, in a FedEx box with ice. It was so cool. Um, they're absolutely delicious. Forager Project is passionate about creating healthy, organic, plant-based food and equally passionate about nurturing a healthy democracy. They believe that voting is the most essential ingredient needed to do this. Forger wants to inspire everyone to get out and vote. And that means you participate in our democracy. They provide voting resources and information for you at forgerproject.com forward slash vote or on the socials like Instagram, Twitter, etc. at Forger Project. Cultivate democracy. Vote. But, uh, you know, just like just like garden anywhere, it's it's a constant experiment and you, you learn and you try to take some notes and then be able to find your notes the next year so you can you know not make the same mistake a second time, which uh, I'm not very good at doing is like always I'm always you know trying to say, all right, yeah, by Valentine's Day, I need to plant my tomatoes. And usually it's about the, the second or third of March that I'm planting them. And then they're always, you know, a couple of weeks from being ready before uh, before it gets too hot in the summertime. So it's. That's from my interview number 162 with Denny Cray, which is a great listen. He talks all about vermiculture. Hey, everyone. So I just want to remind you, this is the most important time to be taking good notes on what's working well, what's not working well, what don't you want to forget come next February and March when it's time to order supplies or do your design you know, what are your favorite seeds or what do you want to plant more of? Do you want more broccoli? Like you might think I am never going to forget this, but you probably are going to forget it. And, um, a great way to support the green organic gardener podcast, um, would be to get our garden journal. That's got a beautiful butterfly that I took a picture of on our lilac. So it's like a little part of our home and your home. It's got blank pages and line pages and, um, it would really support us a lot. Um, so, but most of all, we want you to have good records. Hey there, green future growers. Would you like your friends and neighbors to create an organic oasis too? Would you like others in your area to learn about earth-friendly practices for their gardens and yards? If so, we would love it if you would share the Organic Gardener podcast with your local community or college radio station today. Thanks again for listening and remember, grow local. Grow local.